Once upon a time, everybody believed in God. God, in Western civilization, was a given. <clears throat> Believing in God wasn't a choice. It was an inheritance. Of course, people argued about the content of that belief. As the early Christian church established orthodoxy, or right belief, it simultaneously established heresy, wrong belief. <coughs> but whether you were on the side of orthodoxy or heresy, you believed. And then dawned the age of enlightenment. It all happened so quickly. The rise of rationalism, the ascendancy of science. As people learned to look at the world through the lens of reason, many abandoned religion as irrelevant, incompatible. The possibility of unbelief was born. Atheism was invented, literally. The word did not even exist until the 16th century. Several years ago, the philosopher Charles Taylor argued that we are in a new age, the so-called secular age. Most people would call it the postmodern era. Whatever you call it, it's an age marked by a dizzying array of choices, an endless stream of information. It's a time in which absolute truth claims are inherently suspect. And it's an age in which many, many people do not believe in God. Some are outright atheists. Others are functional atheists who tell themselves they believe in God, but do not, in fact, think or act like they do. And still others long to make the leap of faith, but find themselves mired in skepticism. Charles Taylor ponders, why is it so hard to believe in God in the modern West, while in 1500, it was virtually impossible not to? Now, maybe you're one of those, you're not one of those people for whom it is hard to believe in God. Don't take this the wrong way, but this morning, I'm not really talking to you. You're more than welcome to keep listening. No doubt you have a beloved skeptic in your life. Maybe you've even grieved the sudden disappearance of belief from one generation to the next. You raised your kids in church, but as adults, they rarely, if ever, darken the doors of a sanctuary. But this morning, I'm talking to the skeptics. I know you're here because, well, I'll put it this way. I know I'm here. Once upon a time, I was a 15-year-old girl having a crisis of faith. I'd grown up attending Sunday school and worship, and my closest friends were all confessing Christians. But something didn't click for me, or rather, it kept clicking, the way a gas lighter does when the spark just will not ignite into flames. I simply did not feel God's presence. And without that feeling of God's presence, it wasn't long before I began to question God's existence. 
I felt so ashamed of this fact that I told no one until finally the confession tumbled out along with a torrent of tears. The church camp counselor to whom I confessed my unbelief responded with incredible grace. Without minimizing the distress my unwanted atheism was causing me, he encouraged me to stop worrying so much about what I believed or didn't believe. He encouraged me to take the words of Micah 6.8 to heart, the same words that inspired our shared Lenten challenge, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Within six months of that conversation, I started to have my first stirrings of a call to ministry. When I confessed to that same church camp counselor that I thought I was maybe supposed to possibly be a pastor, he laughed and told me he'd already figured that out and was just waiting for me to realize it for myself. I was stunned. Stunned because the last thing I expected to receive was such a hearty affirmation. And stunned because in the six months between my confessions, I hadn't quite started actually believing in God yet. I was still waiting for belief to overcome unbelief when I sent in my seminary applications, still waiting as I navigated the ordination process, still waiting as I stepped into the pulpit to preach my first sermon. In some ways, I'm still waiting. Which is not to say that I've ever lied to you or that I believe in nothing. It's not quite like that. I promised myself a long time ago that I would never preach something I didn't believe in. My favorite line from scripture, however, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. A theologian writing about the secular age wrote this, the mark of secular society is that believers can no longer enjoy a simple or naive faith. The conditions of belief have changed such that Western Christians are now unable to believe without reservations, without uneasily looking over their shoulders. The honest believer must concede, I am never, or only rarely, really sure, free of all doubt, untroubled by some objection, by some experience which won't fit. In sum, secularism means that our Christian experience is now shaped by a lurking uncertainty. Now that is a phrase that resonates, lurking uncertainty. It was frankly comforting to me to learn about Charles Taylor's philosophy of this secular age. For years, I was convinced that there was just something wrong with me, that my faltering belief was my fault. To borrow a phrase from Madonna, the pop star, not the mother of Christ, we are living in a secular world, and I am just a secular girl. But what then do we make of today's gospel reading? It's funny to me that in a culture that is notoriously skeptical, one of the most popular Bible verses is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, 
but have eternal life. It seems the whole thing hinges on that one phrase, everyone who believes in him. But what if you are culturally incapable of believing? Years ago, the biblical scholar Marcus Borg admitted that for him, believing a set of statements was impossible. What is possible, he argues, is to beloved Jesus and walk in his path. For the past 300 years, Borg said, faith was a matter of believing a list of beliefs about Jesus. The list varied among Christians that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that the tomb was empty on Easter morning. But in the pre-modern world, before about 1600, the object of belief was never a statement, he said. It was always a person. To believe meant to beloved a person. To beloved Jesus means more than simply loving Jesus, he wrote. It means to love what Jesus loved. That is at the heart of Christianity. Well, now that's a different way of looking at it. And the etymology checks out. To believe is to beloved. So let's try that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who beloves him may not perish but have eternal life. The reason why I trust this alternative reading of the passage is not because the etymology checks out. It's because the theology checks out. The Gospels bear witness to a God who is comprised of love, who creates from love, who covenants in love, who reconciles through love. Love is the holy thread that holds the whole thing together. Of course, our part in this beautiful redemption story is to respond to God's love with love. However, did we get to a place where signing off on a set of statements transcended beloving the one who calls us beloved. Bless your heart, Western civilization. Sometimes I wonder about your priorities. I don't want to abandon belief. And here I do mean belief as that intellectual assent. There is power in confessing our convictions about God. There is power, too, in confessing our doubts about God. Sometimes we have to stop believing in a false God in order to open ourselves up to the true and living God. But especially in our secular age, we cannot let belief become a stumbling block to faith. Now, if that sentence doesn't make any sense to you, it's probably because we often use those terms interchangeably. But belief and faith are not the same thing. Faith is entrusting yourself to God despite profound uncertainty. Faith is entrusting yourself to God despite profound uncertainty. Faith is not about certainty. It took me years to understand this, but I finally learned it from paying attention to my own story. It took faith 
to follow my vocation through so many years of waiting for belief to overcome unbelief. That was faith. And it takes faith for you to be here today, friends, if you happen to be one of those for whom belief is elusive. That takes faith. I dare you for a moment to let go of the struggle. Stop trying to believe seven impossible things before breakfast. Rather, seek justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Practice letting yourself love and be loved, and trust yourself to the mystery. Therein lies the path of rebirth in the spirit. Therein lies the way to eternal life. Amen.